As companies scale and their code database becomes large, it can become difficult to measure team effectiveness. With so many moving pieces and an increased lack of visibility, engineering leaders mostly rely on gut feelings to decide decisions and determine impact. Uplevel pulls metadata from programs like Git, Slack, Jira, and public calendar events, and uses machine learning and organizational science to generate actionable insight. With Uplevel, engineering teams can increase velocity, decrease burnout, and plan and execute more predictable releases. Christina Forney is the VP of Product at Uplevel, and she joins us in this episode. This episode of Software Engineering Daily is hosted by Jordi Mon Companies. Check the show notes for more information on Jordi's work and where to find him. Hi, Christina. Welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you for having me. We're here to talk about a really interesting topic and a source of what I think is an ever-running, continuous source of controversy and analysis and uh, a fascinating topic, which is... Um, development metrics, productivity, throughput, developer experience, and how that adds up to uh, the business and, uh, you know, the the moving the needle for businesses and how, how software engineers and teams contribute to the bottom line of any business. That's a very rough uh, description of what we're going to talk about because we're going to touch upon really different granular aspects of that. But um, I'm interested in what, brings you here like uh could you present yourself introduce yourself and also up level and maybe just glance at one of the last pieces of uh research that you've done at up level yeah absolutely um so hello nice to meet you i'm christina forney i'm the vp of product at up level um i have a background as an engineer i started my career as a developer uh, working on internal tools systems and kind of have ebbed and flowed between product and engineering throughout my career, but have largely focused in the dev tool space, first building internally for companies and then turning my focus to think about how do I build developer tools for developers. Um, Uplevel itself is an engineering intelligence platform. And so what does that mean? That means we are looking at how developers are working um, in order to better understand um, how to help them have a better experience. So we are driving better developer experience, we are driving greater levels of productivity, and we're doing this by creating transparency across organizations into what's really going on. We're helping to answer the question, what is my team doing? Are we working effectively? Are we working efficiently? Are we working on the right things? And how can we improve together? Because that's the main challenge, and it sounds kind of surprising. Maybe what one of the things that one takes for granted about software, and this is probably because we are all skewed towards, or we 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 are very our vision is very polluted, in in a good way, uh, with open source, right? That uh, uh, developers in general work in the open, and that they contribute code on a daily basis, and therefore their contribution to the business or to the company or to the project to the team is fairly clear. And yeah, that's not true. Most for two reasons, I would say, but you probably have a broader, deeper answer. Is that one is that contributions, code contributions are not the only work they do, and uh, second is that they they hide a lot of you know things beneath. That is just the tip of the iceberg. So, what I guess my broader question is, um, what makes it so difficult to be as an individual contributor, as a developer, to be transparent 
about what you're working on and uh yeah yeah i think inherently developers know what they're working on but where that gets abstracted is as you increase the size of the organization as you increase the complexity of a code base as you increase the complexity of an organization you have so many systems that it obfuscates what's really happening and then you end up having these disconnected leaders where they have their initiatives their um, high-level goals, their most important things that the business needs to get done, and it's completely disconnected from what's actually happening within the software development teams. That And we did a study recently, so bringing up that, that research that we've done recently yeah. is we surveyed um, software engineers and asked them what they thought of CTOs and do CTOs understand what's going on? And a vast majority of them believed that um, uh, CTOs are making decisions without understanding the implications. They are disconnected from their teams. They are disconnected from what's going on um, with a third of them believing that the majority of engineering roadblocks aren't even noticed by leadership. How come? Like, what? what what's the, could you explain, maybe just drill down into the roadblocks? What? Are there any typical yeah. uh, definitions of roadblocks? Well, are, which ones are the most frequent and why are they difficult to communicate or are they by nature off obfuscated in the reporting process? Yeah. Um, you know, what these roadblocks are varies gr greatly across organizations. Um, but consistently what we see is that CTOs are making strategic decisions without understanding those negative implications. So they're making strategic decisions and 56% of developers say that they don't understand how that's having a negative impact on this team. And 51% of developers think that CTOs are moving people around onto different teams or tasks or initiatives without understanding the implications. And so what that says is that there is an unseen and impact by leadership on the actual direct business and the way that developers are able to best drive value for the business. So an interesting example here is, again, leadership thinks that these are the most important initiatives that our organization is working on. And in reality, there is one team that's responsible for a big bulk of that work. But that team is getting context switched all the time. They're spending so much time of inbound customer support requests, keep the lights on kind of work. And so they're only really spending maybe five to 10% of their working time on these really important initiatives. And so what happens, and that's the disconnect that gets created is leadership is frustrated. Why isn't this thing getting done? It must be because the developers are incompetent. You know, you get this kind of negative reinforcing cycle yeah. of mistrust. Whereas the developers are saying, Nobody understands why this is so hard. Why doesn't the leadership team add, give us more support and help? Something is wrong here. We need more reinforcements. We need, maybe it's just, we need more support, you know, to get some of this tech debt handled. And that can be helped by another team working on that kind of area of focus. But it's just this reinforced cycle of mistrust where developers don't trust leadership to support them. And leadership doesn't trust engineers to get the right work done. I'm wondering now if the uh, frameworks like Dora Metrics uh, have provided any, at least partial bridging of this gap. 
Have they brought any clarity? Have they brought a framework of discussion between see, yeah, between the disconnect existing disconnect between senior leadership and the individual contributors or the team leads? Uh, have they helped at all, in your opinion? I think Dora metrics are a really helpful start, but they're only a small piece of the puzzle. So Dora metrics help you understand: Are we shipping? Are we getting work out? Are we moving? Are we delivering? Are we delivering the right things? Are we doing it in a sustainable sustainable way? Are we spending too much of our time in meetings? Maybe I only really have you know fifty percent of my capacity because fifty percent of the rest of my time is being taken up by meetings, and so you have to look at the more holistic picture. Dora is a is a great stepping stone if you want to understand you know are we moving, but you have to look at a broader perspective to understand what's really going on. You have to understand all of the moving parts and pieces of the organization. Then, I mean, this might be a bit of a too challenging question, but uh, if software engineers, developers only, quote unquote, only care about um, coding, debugging, being as much as possible in the zone, doing deep work, and uh, maybe reading documentation, right? If those are the four key things they wish they would be measured and um, senior leadership only cares about contribution to the bottom line, which would I would equate uh, to Dora metrics or to the Dora dashboard, uh, is there any way in which uh, that potentially narrower, now narrower gap can be closed or... Uh, is is this approach missing missing other aspects that you just mentioned or others? Yeah, so the I think what we saw, what was really interesting to me in this research that we did was that developers actually did want to be tracked. They did want data to be shown and they did want leaders to use data to make better decisions across their organization. And this was a huge majority of 91% of them seeing yes. that like, you know, right? They 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 want metrics to be tracked. They want to know that leadership is looking at the right things, but they're not happy with the actual metrics that they're looking at. So typically leadership is missing that piece of the puzzle. And so developers do want leaders to look at things like um, how much deep work time am I getting? Am I getting enough time to focus? This is a huge correlation between my ability to deliver value, to write code, to do the things that leadership is asking me to do. And if you're making me sit in all these meetings, I'm just not going to be able to get that work done. You need to understand the cost of what you're you're putting me through, right? And um, they also want you leadership looking at like, am I am I going to burn out? Am I am I being asked to do too many hours of work? Because what we see it in in our data with uplevel is that there's a very high correlation between always on metrics, meaning like I'm working outside of a normal day um, and um, deep work. So if I'm not getting enough time to do my deep thinking and my deep work during my normal business day, I'm going to extend that time and I'm going to be working extended hours in order to get that focus time after hours. And that is a very high indication of burnout. <laughs> I'm wondering if, wondering out loud and putting this out to you, the the expert on this, if there's any solution to this, what seems to be a flywheel effect, negative effect of software engineers 
there's the, 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 the supply of software engineers to the world, to the labor market, is shorter, way shorter, and it grows slower than the demand for them. So that works in favor of software engineers in general, especially senior engineers, because they earn more. But in general, it, it raises the salaries of all of them but by, by definition of, of equilibrium in, with shorter demand and higher, higher demand and shorter supply. Uh, but I'm wondering if, if the constant push upwards of software engineering salaries in, in average is actually uh, putting so much pressure in in hiring that that in turn CTOs and senior leadership of the software engineering business unit is actually wanting to extract too much from them and uh, increase throughput uh, even at the cost of um, you know what you just described like uh, uh, requesting too too much work from software engineers and so forth and if that's true in your view and you could explain it probably much better than I do. If you find there's a, if you think there's a solution to that, because from what I described, it seems like um, uh, this is going to get worse and worse because salaries have no software engineering salaries have no indication of going down, and at the same time, especially in a context, economic context like this one, um, well, uh, CTOs are not going to stop wanting to get the most out of the, out of their engineering teams. Yeah, just I'm going to try and restate this in a in a little bit different way, and that's um, R and D costs are some of the largest costs of organizations who are building software, and very often leadership, especially boards who are not part of the engineering leadership group, want to know: Am I getting the right return on my investment? How do I have confidence that your team is delivering the maximum value for my organization? Now, if I'm asking my developers to spend a massive amount of their time in meetings, that is time that's being taken away from spending on value-creating exercises. Now, I'm not advocating for zero meetings because you have to have meetings. You have to have synchronous collaboration. But if the bulk of my time is being spent in meetings, that's a problem. And so there's a balance between how much time I'm spending collaborating synchronously and my ability to get enough focus time. And so what we see is typically I'm making this massive R&D investment and yeah. I, you know, maybe we just increased our team. We went from a hundred people to 150 people. And now it feels like we're getting, you know, we were getting like 75 people worth of work done and now we're getting 80 people worth of work done. And I have, you know, massively added the number of folks. What's going on there? Why did I not massively increase our throughput or output. And there's these costs to onboarding new developers, to the number of meetings, to the chat interruptions that are happening that slows down an organization. So there's things that you can do to increase our capacity of our team. And that's, so what, what I think what we typically see is many organizations are really only getting maybe 50, 60% capacity out of their team. Once you remove the overhead of, out of office time. Lots of people don't take that into consideration. I, sh I expect that I should be getting 100 people's worth of work, but the reality is like you have to take 20%, 15, 20% off the top just for out of office, sick days, things going on, life. Um, and so are you planning to that capacity? And then you have to take another, you know, 20% off the top of that to 
meeting costs. Like I am in meetings. I context switched. I changed, you know, I went to a meeting. I only had an hour. I went to another meeting. In that one hour between those meetings, I'm not getting quality work done because it's not enough time to really get into flow and get into that harder thinking. And so there's a cost to the business and you're reducing the net capacity of your team overall. And so what we want to look at is how do we increase that capacity of your team so you can get more done within the hours? It doesn't mean asking, you know, kind of circling back to what you asked initially is these high salaries, these people, we want to push them really hard. But the reality is we're not giving them the opportunity to give us their full capacity. Because as a business, we've put barriers and roadblocks and toil and hard things in their way to really delivering to the like the maximum potential that they have one thing that from one of the consequences one of the insights that uh, the study revealed that you've mentioned before didn't surprise me right um, and because i've conducted myself research on this point right i i i was doing so concerned that a product that I consulted for was requesting access to um, um, behavioral code metrics that are quite invasive, right? And I was framing this in the way that it's it's not for the product development team, but rather for your boss, right? It's your boss who's willing, who's actually interested in how much time you spend as a software engineer doing deep work, how much time do you spend uh, collaborating, documenting, working on legacy code and so forth. And what you said correlates with what I found out is that m most of them, to my surprise, and you said, I think not over 90%. And, and again, that correlates to what I just, I saw just three months ago, uh, are willing to give away, you know, have their boss metaphorically over their shoulder, tapping them and saying, you're doing the right thing. Go ahead. Or you're not doing the right thing. Try refocusing in this way. But giving them full transparency. So that didn't surprise yes. me. Um, it did surprise me when I conducted the research, but now that I know that, uh, I'm quite in the same line. What did surprise me, in fact, is uh, the results or the insights that your study uh, revealed about async. I thought that the same, the large majority of the, the population studied would be completely in favor of async, but it's not true. And you just hinted it about uh, a minute ago that uh, meetings are required, but maybe in a bigger dose than I thought. Uh, any, any? Could you elaborate on the insights that you got from Async work from your study? Yeah, yeah. This was really surprising to me as well. Um, and I think what we're we're seeing in this data, my hypothesis again is um, kind of a reckoning of we've all moved. We, you know, the whole world had to skew towards Async, and a lot of people found that freeing, and they loved it, and they. They were able to actually get their focus time done because someone wasn't spinning around in their chair and tapping them on the shoulder. They were able to focus in ways they never were before. They didn't have to commute for hours on end and waste all of this time. There was a really positive kind of um, flow as, as the world went to remote working. And I think we're kind of having this pull back. And what we saw in the data is roughly, and not quite, um, a third preferred async develop, uh, async communication, a third preferred synchronous communication, and a third preferred a mix of both. And actually, it's a little bit skewed where almost 40% preferred a mixture of both async and synchronous communication with, you know, 
35% preferring synchronous. And um, I think we saw that reduce drop in 27, only 27% thinking that asynchronous communication is best. And so I, I think this is a little bit of a reckoning and a resetting, but the reality yeah. is everyone likes to work in different ways. And so we see this just split across the board and really kind of the slight bias is that 40% think that both is necessary. I'm wondering if your the study conducted by UpLevel captured anything about, because what I'm getting from my own research and from the street, from what I hear in the street, uh, is that um, is that attrition levels are quite high, despite what I just said about uh, salaries going up. You would you would think that a on average highly paid uh, job role like software engineer, even juniors again. Uh, would be, you know, would would have long on average again long tenure times. Turns out that it it is true, but it times are average tenure times are being reduced quite dramatically. And we've hinted to two potential reasons um, that we just described. But I wonder if up levels uh, study captures anything about the nature of software engineering projects becoming more complex in time. It seems like software engineering was uh, easier 10 years ago. Microservices, the cloud, the stack being com every now and then completely revamped in a way. Uh, no sign of less programming languages being used. No sign of less infrastructure or of infrastructure becoming easier. No one wants Kubernetes, for example, is becoming pervasive and yet every single software engineer out there would say i don't want to touch the the internals of kubernetes with a 10-foot pole so i wonder is any it, it maybe you don't have any strict hardcore core insights but if, if if not uh would you have any proxies from your from your study about that yeah um i think complexity is going in in both directions so added layers of organizations. We now have these legacy systems that are getting really, really hard to maintain, right? There's there's a lot of transformation initiatives going on across the industry. Yeah. And a huge part of that is what we're seeing is basically every company is now a software company. Even if you're a automotive company, if you're a bank where your primary thing you are selling is not software, you are still now a software company and you have to learn how to do development. And so that might be out of your core competencies in how your business operates. Um, and so we're needing, we're seeing this kind of shift of every company having to learn how to build software and how to build software well. And so we have this complexity, we have this big learning curve, a lot of companies on a transformation journey. Um, we can see that like the acceleration of the cloud is is really not that old. It's only really been in the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. And so the opportunity for what companies can do has just grown massively. And I, I think we're seeing a, a, a just big shift overall. And it's happening very, very quickly compared to the speed at which we were developing and iterating and learning before. When you were restricted by hardware and the cost of hardware and the cost of infrastructure, and you had to maintain these massive server farms and you had to do all of this work, it, it slowed down progress. And so by having what seems like unlimited compute power now, yes, 
we're able to take on more transfer transformational opportunities and um and that's adding to layers of complexity because there's yes. just so much happening and so many companies trying to do new and different things and try out new technologies and um so not only do developers feel like the CTOs don't know what's going on but 96% of the developers say they don't know what the leadership is going on. So <laughs> it's connected. It's, it goes both ways where um, developers don't know what these important initiatives are happening and they're trying their best to make the right decisions for the business. But if they truly don't understand what's going on, yeah. there's just, just this massive disconnect between what's happening, what needs to happen, and kind of perception across the board. So we've established now and described mostly the bottom end of the gap, right? But we've also talked about why, at least slightly, and if you want to elaborate on that, please feel free, uh, on the reasons why CTOs are missing and, and making strategic decisions without counting with the real-world data that lies beneath them, right? And uh, I wonder I wonder uh, why they, they would do so. But if you could actually elaborate on that end, and then do so maybe with an example in which uh, Uplevel has helped bridge this gap, right? In, in any direction, has it helped uh, software engineering teams understand what uh, the leadership was doing strategically and then they factor that in or the other way around or both ways? Uh, could you give us an example of that? Developers and development teams, especially inside of large, large organizations, one of the, the things that we see is there's just inconsistency across the entire organization of how we build, how we develop, what tools we're using, what are our processes. Um, it's just vastly different across an organization. And when you have that many disparate sources, um, it makes data collection really, really hard. We have to pull together information, not just from things like my code, my project tracking tools, our calendars, our Slack. So much work is happening in Slack now. Um, oh, yeah. That um, I'm not talking about four sources. I'm talking about I our teams have, you know, four to 10 different code repository tools where we are actually building software, where our code lives. We have multiple types and and instances of project tracking tools. And so you can't just go to one place to run that query. There are many sources. And then on top of that, you're not able to derive combined insights together. So it's just very hard as a leader to truly understand where all of this work is happening. And so that's one of the things that Uplevel provides. And we do it in a way where we're providing that same transparency across the entire organization. We believe that the best way to lead engineering organizations is through transparency, by building trust, by helping create that visibility across the layers of an engineering organization. Any developer within your organization should understand what are the metrics that our leadership team is looking at. Leadership be should be able to see how is our organization spending our time and how can I, as a leader, start to advocate for change in support of my engineering organization. So an example here, maybe um, we are seeing that our, our team, our engineering organization isn't spending too many hours in meetings. Our volume of meetings is good, but we're not getting enough deep work. So what that tells us is very likely we just have really bad meeting hygiene. So when meetings are scheduled is really suboptimal, right? I'm not getting any deep work time because I'm interrupted once an hour 
So I don't get that, get, don't get into flow. I don't get that focus time. Yeah, Not yeah, in a ton yeah. of meetings, but they are just wrecking my focus. And so an engineering leader could see that and say, okay, as an organization, I'd like to roll out this policy of no meeting Wednesdays or no meeting Fridays or some, some policy that they're trying to roll out. And that's going to require work. I have to now go update my calendar and that's annoying. And I, as an engineer, maybe I'm on a team where I don't have a problem with my meeting schedules and meeting hygiene. And so I find this incredibly annoying and I think it's frustrating and stupid. And I think leadership is disconnected, but the reality is I'm disconnected from what's happening across the organization. And so by creating that transparency as a leader, I can say, look at what's going on. Your peers the engineers of our company are not getting enough focus time. So together, to make the experience better together, we are going to inform this policy. We're going to take meetings off of this day. Now, I'm much more motivated. Even though my calendar, I had to do the work. I had to go change my own calendar. I'm doing it in support of my peers. I'm doing it in support of the organization. Do you get more buy-in, more alignment, more understanding of the why behind the policy decisions? And so you're going to be able to enact and affect change much more effectively. Okay, that's a brilliant example. Uh, I wonder if there are more. Like, uh, um, have you ever been? Have you ever seen any testimony of actions, data informed actions, like the one that you just described? Even if hypothetically, if, even if this one was hypothetical, um, uh, based on uh, information around, I don't know, code reviews, maybe merge request, conflicts in merge requests, time that it takes to solve it. Um, I don't know any other typical software engineering metrics that on aggregate have led to informed decisions across the board, or, or maybe granular and apply to different teams that uh, have have generated not an opposition like you just described, but an endorsement by the person being applied in this new policy. Yeah. Another really great example. And so that 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 example I gave, I obfuscated a little bit, but yes, that was a real example that we oh, have okay, had. Okay. You know, we've, we've seen this happen time and time again. And another kind of example that I'll obfuscate is say there is a initiative and you have a team working on this very key important initiative and one team is based in the US and the other team is based in Europe. And you have a third team that's also based in the US that's working on a totally separate initiative. Now, looking at our data, what we could see is um, what we look at cycle time and then we break down. So cycle time is from when a ticket is first opened to you know going through the different phases of development, um, waiting testing. for PR review, PR review, testing, um, and then deployment. And so what we see in this kind of scenario where you have two teams who are reliant on each other that are based in different time zones is that you have a very high time of waiting for review. And then you have a cost of now it has to go through this cycle where it has to basically wait 24 hours every time you want to get through an iteration instead of being able to iterate quickly together. And so when you can show this information, you know, people do not like having projects taken away from them. They feel like it's some sort of failure. You know, I, I was bought in. I was motivated. I was, you know, this was the thing that I was owning. I don't want to have this taken away from me and given to another team. But if you can show them in the data, look at this cost. Look at how much, look how hard this is. We are making this harder than it needs to be. You can shuffle 
people around and teams around and who owns different initiatives around to better align based on time zones so that you increase collaboration, especially when something's high impact, high risk, time sensitive, where any sort of cost of delay in time um, impacts the business. Yes, that's a brilliant example. So did we miss any specific insights from the from the study that by the way where can anyone go and find that study yeah if you go to our website upleveleteam.com um you can find access to that we have um it in our blog and resources area did we miss any of the main key insights that we just went through uh from the from this study did we miss anything that was specifically relevant to this conversation I think I can just really quickly recap, like my key takeaway is that CTOs do need better, they need to be better connected to what developers are doing and that developers want to be measured and they just want those metrics and insights to be really meaningful and for leaders to be making decisions on complete information. Um, because when you don't have the data, you're relying on gut feelings. And that means you have to use really manual methods to create an understanding. Um, some of the manual methods that we saw engineering mm. leaders relying on is just live meetings and conversations, again, taking away from the deep work of developer time, um, sending messages or sending emails or sending out surveys to their teams, which again, is just incomplete and anecdotal. And so looking at the real work happening in a way that's supportive of organizations is key. My prediction is that uh, if a product like Uplevel becomes very successful, uh, pervasive in a good way, right, everywhere, is that when the next research, piece of research study that you do next year, when this is happening in three years' time or ever, async positivity, support, and the, the, that third of the population that you said that supported async work will increase because if this scenario that you just laid out and again this is me being uh, uh thinking myself as uh, as a good forecaster which is probably not true is that uh, <laughs> async doesn't work in a scenario like the one that up level is trying to solve the scenario that you were describing a minute ago uh if if a company is aligned with how software engineers work and how to improve those workflows. According to data, a company, the leadership of that company will get endorsement, approval, and support to changes in workflows and many other fundamental um, uh, project management skills in a in any given software engineering uh, project uh, from from the from the individual contributors. Uh, and and I think that they would feel more comfortable. Once those best practices are established uh, based on uh, real-world data, they would feel much more comfortable than async. Uh, or the, the the amount of people supporting async uh, workflows uh, will increase. But anyway, uh, regardless of, of that <laughs> prediction, uh, I really wish that um, uh, a product like uh, Uplevel and the mission that it's trying to uh, achieve and fulfill uh, becomes a reality because yes, uh, the the attrition numbers are growing. Uh, every single uh, company in the world is a software engineer is a software company, and we better get 
good at being that and better be uh, humane and treat ourselves with respect and based on data and uh, uh, than any other way, to be honest. Yeah, I love that hypothesis. I, I, I really do hope and believe that that could come true. I agree with your your thesis there. Well, thank you so much. With that, uh, with that support for my forecast, uh, I think that and <laughs> that we can finish this conversation today. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for a great discussion today. Bye bye.